last week when I forgot my kid's water bottle at school, but he has to have water because he has to stay hydrated. So I dumped my coffee mug out and filled it with water and gave it to him. And I was like, this child is how you know mommy loves you. (laughs) You I just gave up up my coffee for you to be hydrated. Uh I hesitated, but I did it. So know that I love you. Now go to school. Okay, let's do this. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love or work. Is anyone listening? No, don't put that on the air. These two people are really, really funny. This one made me cry. World Series champion. Around the entire world. NBA all-star. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And I just used my radio voice. (laughs) You did all over again. Some days you just throw it out there. Yeah, it, it happens. Today it we happens. have a, a a new and surprising and different, a little bit different kind of interview. A little bit different. Yeah, we have two of our friends. They're not a couple. Not a couple. So it's a couple ju- friends, but they're not a couple. Let's put it together. They are not partners. Yes. We'll just make that clear. They're great friends, though. Because they're single and looking for possible partners. <laughs> oh, you're going to make that clear, too, apparently. <laughs> Speaking of making it clear. If you love this interview, any of you listening who have other single friends or are a single male listening, they are single available women. So hit me up and I will hook you up if you know what I mean. Wow. <laughs> it's like That just was like flowing out of you. Like, oh, is just, this a new thing? Is I, this, just, I just put it out there. Is this a new I thing you're doing? I love these women and I would love for them to have a date. Also, so let's talk about them. First of all, we have Chelsea Sabo. She is uh, started an organization um, called Foster Care Alliance, which is a nonprofit advocating for healthy families, one mom at a time. Hang on. And she, unique thing about Chelsea, she used to work with us, but even more unique is she's the first person on our podcast that we have also interviewed her parents. Yay. Isn't that interesting? Like we're, we're, we have a legacy. Mom and daughter. Yeah. There we go. And Frank then our, and Connie, if you didn't hear their um, episode, that was a while back. Amazing. So long amazing, ago. Amazing friends. All right. And then our next guest is Amanda Van Dalen. She is the Director of Residential Services at the Gateway Center. And both of them are very uh, involved in foster care. And so that is the discussion of today's podcast. I feel like you hit all the things that I normally get to hit on in preparation to listen to and listen for, listen to, and listen for. <laughs> and so I had this list of three things to share. And so I'm going to, in real you. time, I'm I gonna, can help you if oh, you need a few more. What do you got? Number one, letting go of the bias. Okay. You go. Number two. Number two. As they've gone further along and fostered their foster care, their community has gotten smaller. Yes. And number three. Oh, is it my turn? Yeah. Trauma. Trauma. I don't know. I don't think this is really your kind of bit. Like I, I, I'm just gonna say. Are you taking it away from me just because I one word previews? I don't know. No, it's good because trauma is very important in this whole foster care discussion. So we need to talk about it. Can we just agree for a second before we get into this? Can we just agree that we need to stay in our lanes? That you're better at that than I am. Yeah, I mean, I think. 
I think you're really great at introducing <sighs> the people, and I'm and I have maybe a gift at creating some intrigue and hype. Oh my goodness! Okay, I did a poor job. Wait. Okay. Good. Okay. You're I, I thought you were just gonna go in and not uh, ah, address. This. You wanted me to acknowledge, <laughs> Jeff. You're the greatest. All no, right. that's not what I was looking for. I was. I didn't say that. I think you're great at all the other okay, stuff. Okay, you are great at the three things to be listening <laughs> for. All right, now can we get back Stay to in the lanes. interview? Let's go. Here we go. This is Amanda Bandalen and Chelsea Sabo. Yeah, so I have been interested in foster care since I was a teenager. Um, I saw it on a show for the first time called Judging Amy and thought that's something I would love to do when I get older and, and married. Um, and I, I knew I could do it because I've said goodbye to a lot of like babysitting families that I babysitted for, for two or three years that I was very attached to the children. Um, so I knew I could do that one day. Um, flash forward, I'm 29. Um, marriage doesn't seem to be in the books yet. Um, but I had a friend complaining about not enough good foster families in the, in the region he worked in, in Metro Atlanta. And I said, can you do it single? And he's like, oh yeah. And I said, Okay. A month and a half later, I took my first class. Six months later, um, I was licensed as a foster parent. Wow. Um, I mean, during that process, things were talked about, prayed for, thought through, um, worked out. Um, but that's the, the short three, five minute version of how I became a foster parent is um, there's a need. I knew I had a heart for it and I... Um, worked it out with resources to be able to do it. Yeah. Chelsea, how about you? Yeah. So I also thought that I would always adopt, but I didn't really know a ton about foster care girly. That wasn't something that was normal per se to me. Um, but had a couple friends, like Amanda said, that were fostering. And I had always been working in the area of child welfare um, in the state. So that was always something I had a heart for was children in poverty. Um, and I will say that I was I sort of had this reoccurring dream, not sort of, I did. I had this reoccurring dream where I had this child and he was in the, in a grate in the road and somebody was picking him up and there was this whole crowd around and I walked by and, um, and they were like, here, you try. The child wouldn't stop crying. And, um, and so in the dream, I would say, okay, I guess I can. And I would try. And this child would look up at me, say mama, and then I'd wake up. And so I had this dream over and over starting in college, talked to lots of mentors about it. And everyone just said, oh, you're called to help children in poverty. That must be what it means. But the dream never went away. So then when I heard about foster care and similar to like Amanda was saying that there was a need, I thought, well, I've, you know, I've always had a heart for kids in need and I have an extra bedroom. How hard could it be? Um, I'll take a kid. So I wasn't quite as brave as Amanda. I signed up to be a respite foster family. Um, I didn't jump in right away, but, um, but what was supposed to be for me, a weekend of caring for a child turned into a lifetime. Um, 
And so I will say, you know, it wasn't necessarily something I pursued, like I will be a foster parent, I will do this. It really happened through a lot of friend confirmations, a lot of um, God intervening and getting past my fear of doing it and taking it one step at a time. I really think if God had told me I always want him to tell me the future. And if God had told me I was going to be a full-time parent, I would have never signed up for the class. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real story right there. So let's go back a little bit to when you're talking about like the need. Um, Maybe you guys can share a little bit of the statistics about children in the foster system in America. Amanda, I know you're a social worker, so this is like... <laughs> well, I've got the statistics Chelsea actually sent to me a few weeks ago <laughs> in front of me. Um, so yeah, so top five reasons for entry into defects custody um, in Georgia um, are number one reason, neglect. Number two, substance abuse. Three, inadequate housing. Four, incarceration. And five, abandonment. Um, with those numbers ranging from the top of um, 4,400 to abandonment being about 992. Um, So those are the top five reasons kids come into custody. And neglect can look like a lot of different things. It can be not taking them to school um, for a long period of time. It can mean um, them not being medically cared for properly, missing doctor's appointments, things like that. or not feeding them, or not having adequate things in the household for them. Um, And that's what typically neglect looks like. And inadequate housing is typically homelessness sometimes, Um, like living outside homelessness. Just because someone's experiencing homelessness doesn't mean your children are going to get taken into custody. So it's really like not having shelter for them um, and incarceration. And I've, in five years, or almost five years, I've had four out of five of those are always the reason. The only one I haven't had is um, substance abuse, which you get a lot more in rural areas of Georgia. And they're saying the opiate crisis is the the number one reason like across the country for um, an increase in foster care placements. Um, but that's growing. I just, I just haven't seen it in my kids' stories. And, and Amanda, you um, Chelsea shared a little bit. It turned her adopt or her uh, foster care story turned into adoption. The same thing for you, Amanda. Could you share kind of once you decided to do this, what happened um, after that? Uh, so what happened after that is um, a little baby named Jeremiah um, came into my arms um, less than a month after I was licensed and after my first respite placement, and um, I immediately fell in love with him. Um, was rooting for his mom, was rooting for his family. Um, And about six to seven months into that placement that he was supposed to leave, um, I wasn't 100% on board with where he was going, but they had been involved. They were trying, um, packed him up. We had a party saying goodbye. Didn't happen Um, multiple times. Hmm. And, And after that, I realized if he wasn't going to go back to his, his mother, I, I wanted to care for him for the rest of his life. Um, is around that time when I said goodbye a few times and it was really, really, this is, I think he's supposed to be my son. Um, he may not be, but I feel like he is. And it was somewhere, um, in that time period where 
I, I became his mom and he became my son in that time. Um, and it was still really hard cause I got into f- my hesitation with getting into foster care was, um, I was raised by a single mom. I saw how hard it was for her and I didn't want to have that hard life mm. that I saw her have. Um, it's not that I felt like I was ever wanting for anything or missing anything. Um, but I just saw how hard it was on her. Um, and the, um, the thing she, she missed out on because of that, because of not having two parents in the household or two incomes. Um, and so that was my hesitation, even like going forward with the adoption and, um, advocating to adopt him and him not going to extended family members out of state, um, was the relationship that we had. And then lots of praying, lots of, communicating and lots of like looking at my history as being a child of a single mom and noting all the positives that came along with that. Um, and I was able to say a child can still have a good and healthy and loving life with one parent, um, the same parent his whole life rather than having to, um, have more trauma um, by losing two moms in his whole life um, and having to go through that trauma for the rest of his life of losing not only a birth mother, but also uh, a placement he was at for almost two years. Wow. So as you're, as you're even sharing this, like I, I can imagine listeners right now putting themselves in that moment that you were in and trying to figure, wow, you're like, they're, they're processing the storyline of something they actually haven't had to ponder in the past, right? Is that a fair... Thing. So it's like, man, this is complicated, right? You had, and the, both of you guys have had these um, children that have come into your home sometimes for short periods, and for two of the children forever um, that you've pondered. I mean, there's if, a lot of fears. I think, yeah, is the big. I mean, definitely Amanda with your history. That's a big fear of yours, um, Chelsea. What are some of the other fears that a lot of people have regarding? foster care or what you had yourself? Yeah, I think being a single foster parent is tough. Being a single parent is tough. Um, It's not really the life you dream of. Um, And so I think that's something. I also think it took other people speaking in to my life to get rid of some of the biases that I have, what an American dream looks like, what a perfect life looks like. When I first uh, started fostering, I told everybody, my paperwork says no adoption. And I told people I didn't believe in single people adopting. That was not in my belief system. Hmm. And I think I really had to change the way that I thought once you start to understand that circumstances don't dictate what you should do, um, but the core of a person and who they are, what that family looks like, is it's what matters more. I didn't understand trauma, so I didn't even know to be scared of it. But then once you start to understand trauma, there's a lot that comes with that. Um, and, and I would say that that was really what began to push me over the edge. Like Amanda was saying, is this idea of, I love this child. And just because my family doesn't look picture perfect or what I thought 
it should be in the frame doesn't necessarily mean that this isn't what is very best for him. Mm. Um, I think a lot of fear that comes with foster care too is the unknown. You don't know what the child's going to be like. You don't know what their family's going to be like. You don't know what they're going to bring to the party. Um, and that can be intimidating in and of itself because as a planner, I would really just like to know exactly what I'm looking at. When my son came into care, they said he was just small for his age and he ended up being medically fragile with 16 doctors and eight therapists a week. Um, we're still dealing with medical needs. My son just three, four weeks ago now was in the hospital for a week on a pick line for three. So we're still dealing with those things. Again, the fear of the unknown is what is scary. But honestly, I'm really glad I didn't know because it would have been scarier. Um, however, I can say with 100% certainty that the blessing, the joy, what comes with being his mom far outweighs any fear that I ever had going in. Um, but I like comfort just like the next person. Um, I don't love being on a budget. Now I have to be on one. I don't love not being able to just go on a whim or call any babysitter I want. Um, you know, I don't like being inconvenienced at my core who does. And I think people who get into foster care have to, and adoption, and honestly, anyone who wants to be a parent ever needs to understand that you give up your convenience and it's worth it but nothing about foster care or parenting will ever be convenient again. And I think for me, the fear of giving up a really comfortable life I had was, um, was what maybe made me drag my feet longer than another might have. Hmm. Yes. The convenience of parenting. There is no such thing. <laughs> your life is not your own. Seriously. No, like last week when I forgot my kid's water bottle at school, but he has to have water because he has to stay hydrated. So I dumped my coffee mug out and filled it with water and gave it to him. And I was like, this child is how you know mommy loves you. <laughs> you <gave up laughs> I, just poured, I just gave up my coffee for you to be hydrated. I hesitated, but I did it. So know that I love you. Now go to school. It's amazing. Well, the two of you, I mean, we're friends of both of you, and you two have become great friends in the midst of this story. Um, I'd love for you to each share a little bit about how, um, I mean, I guess your relationship and friendship, um, but also like how community has played a role in um, in this story for, for each of you uniquely. Yeah, Um so I have to say my community has gotten a little bit smaller each mm. year as I, I'm going to be honest, as, as foster care goes on. Um, mm. I think the newness of somebody becoming a foster parent, um, and everybody wants to help out those first couple years. Um, and then the adoption happens, but you keep fostering. Um, it's not new anymore. It's not, nobody's surprised by it. It's just like, Oh, she's a foster parent. That's what her life looks like. So she's she's good. She's got it. <laughs> Has gone down over you, which is fine. I've learned to deal with it. Um, and it's okay. But that I was 
I don't know that I would have survived my first couple of years of foster parenting without the community that I had. Um, y'all being one of them, both of y'all, um, watching my son one day a week when he was an infant, um, or taking him to the park so I could go have coffee with a friend. Um, those first couple years I wouldn't have survived without, um, I don't know, six or seven family friends just jumping in and saying, hey, can I watch your kid? Can I hold your kid? Uh, or watching him one day a week while I worked um, or had to go out of town. Um, bringing meals over or saying, just bringing a bag of chili literally to church um, and saying, hey, didn't know if you could use this, but you know, here you go. <laughs> um, community, I, I have to say in the first, I mean, in general, is pivotal to a foster family surviving, but not just surviving, thriving. I feel like that's, I feel like community those first two years is how I feel like we were thriving in foster care. And I was thriving as a single parent. Um, And I don't know if it's just the, everybody's life that we were close to, just everybody's life got busy. Mine got busier. I added more kids to my household. So having somebody watch three kids as as opposed to one is a lot different. Um, And then you add um, trauma and older kids into that situation, which is I've been doing older kids for the last year and a half. And um, babies are cute to hold and to help with with foster parents. (laughs) Um, A two-year-old who bites and throws things often um, or a kid that uses the bathroom on herself um, or you have to watch for safety with other kids is, is not. And so I'll be honest, the last year community wise has been a struggle, but what has been fantastic is that maybe not the day to day community that I've had has not been like as far as helping and just like saying, Hey, can I come watch the kids or I don't know, get you coffee, but has been like the, the text messaging and the phone from like a, a couple of really um, just good friends. I'm like, this is hard. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, Chelsea and I have probably talked more on the phone in the last six months <laughs> than we, than I talk on the phone with anybody <laughs> besides for work. Um, and it's, having somebody to talk to when your kids are asleep this last year has just been a saving grace. Um, When you're dealing with trauma and nobody wanting to go to sleep at night for, let's just talk about almost a year um, of having older kids and trauma behaviors and your kid being bitten um, and some really bad abuse that's happened at the end of the day for the last year, it's been hard to be a single mom because there's nobody in the house to like process it through with. Um, Yeah. So I feel like for the long-term foster care support, um, yeah, it's just been the, the, the beginning of foster care support was fantastic. And it's, I mean, I'll take my part in that too. And just, I'm not fantastic about asking for help like in emergencies, I will. Um, but it's rare that I will reach out and say, Hey, can you watch my kid for an hour so I can go to Home Depot and get 
two inches shaved off my door so I can put my door back on. <laughs> um, cause that's a lot easier to do with just me than three kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the tech scene and, um, that invention which has just been a lifesaver <laughs> for me and my community of support. And just sometimes just like getting to say, Hey, it's just been a bad day. Like, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And somebody just saying, you know, I'm in there too. And some of them are other yeah, single parents. Some of them are long-term parents like y'all and the Dudleys. Um, and some of one of them has a single parent, single mom with six kids. And t- most of them are fosters to adopt. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, I'll be honest, the first couple of years, it, I felt like I asked for help more and felt supported mm. more. And the last, I'll be honest, the last year and a half have just been hard. And I don't know if it's because I've had older kids in my house, older meaning two and older, um, or if it's just, you know, life is changing. I don't know. Um, but I have to say the last, the last year and a half has been hard, but I've also increased my like online foster parent support network. Like Instagram has been fantastic about finding other one single moms and other two foster families that are in this trauma or on this older kid or on this visitations with me on this journey. And it's just nice to not feel alone. What about you, Chelsea? Yeah, I think um, the same community is essential for parenting, especially as a single parent, um, you have to have backup. You have to have somebody else in your corner. Um, kids get sick, things happen, and you may still have a giant presentation you have to make. And so that's really hard. Um, I feel constantly pulled in directions where there's so many things that could be priority. And although my kid is priority, there's also the, but I have to work to pay the bills. So yes, my time with my kid is a priority, but that doesn't mean that I can take a whole week off work every month, or I can take a mental health day for myself because for my organization, money doesn't get raised. The business doesn't operate all of that if I leave. Um, and so that's really difficult is there's no real space for yourself. Um, for me, having a medically fragile child, I think adds a different component to it of, I can't just send him anywhere or do anything. Um, there's a lot of planning and prep that goes into it. So last minute plans and last minute things are really hard. Um, so I would say, you know, but having community, having those people that understand people who are willing to sit down and be trained on if this happens, this is what you do. If this, you know, people who know what's going on is really helpful. Um, I will say when in foster, when the child is still in foster care, one of the things that's really helpful about community for me and that was having other people who understand where I don't have to explain all the backstory or feel like I had to defend my son's parents when I just needed to vent about something I was frustrated by. Um, That's really hard because for me, whether I agreed with his parents' decisions or not, I always wanted to honor them and who they were and the role that they did play in his life of bringing him life. Um, and so I will say like for Amanda and I, that's always something nice where it's, we can say like, Hey, my kid's parents missed visitation. And the first response isn't, 
oh, well, then you should go to court and you should get termination and they're terrible people. And it's like, okay, no, like, ooh, that must be really hard. How is your child processing that? That must be really hard on you. Oh man, that's going to be a tough week to recover. Understanding what it plays out for your family and then also saying, hmm, I wonder what supports were in place. I wonder if she needed a ride back. I wonder, you know, there's something to people who understand the stories too. Um, I also think one of the hard parts about inviting people into community when you have a child from trauma is that people tend to think that they understand parenting from your perspective, even though they don't have a child from trauma. Um, my kid reacts to triggers differently than a typical child does. And quite honestly, Amanda and I have talked about this. Sometimes I can't handle the judgment or I can't handle the advice or the comment when I just want to be like, yes, I have another busted lip because this happened and he triggered, this happened. I didn't even know it was a trigger. Now I know. And we're talking about it instead of it being like, well, did you try time out? Well, are you allowed to spank now? Well, are you, you know, those types of things. So I would say like community, as Amanda was saying, starts to get smaller too, because you're your ability to be vulnerable is minimized because my emotional capacity isn't there anymore. But I would also say the people who I trust to still love me, my kid and my kid's family, even in the midst of the hard things get smaller and smaller as well. Um, because unfortunately there's not a lot of understanding around foster care. And so there's still a lot of bias. Um, and I wish I could say that I have the energy to like help people move to this next place and understand it. But sometimes I'm just really tired mm -hmm. and I don't really feel like having a deep conversation about why you should think different because I'm just, I just need to keep my head above water. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause you guys both do. I mean, so you're, your day actually in the evenings and mornings and throughout the night, you're caring for children. Kids go to, uh, I think some kind of daycare that you guys are both connected to when you go to work and then your work is actually highly emotional also. Like it's highly, uh, uh demanding also, right? Like you, both of you guys are doing, um, community changing work definitely in our city. And like, you guys don't get breaks, right? Like this is like, this is, you're giving, you're giving your life to this purposeful work, both in building a family and in your daily job. Yeah. Chelsea, tell us how that has brought you to starting this organization called Foster Care Alliance. Yes. So I started the Foster Care Alliance. It will be three years in January which is crazy to me. We've been taking clients for about two. So the Foster Care Alliance, we have um, a program that we now call the Mother's Advocacy Project, and I'll explain why in a minute. But we work with uh, birth moms, single birth moms, whose kids are either in foster care currently or who are at risk of coming into foster care because of what Amanda was talking about, these solvable problems. 84% of kids who come into care in the state of Georgia come into care for solvable problems problems. Um, that's a huge number. So for me, um, you know, as I was going through foster care, people asked me, what's my biggest surprise. My biggest surprise about foster care is that I adopted. 
My second biggest surprise about foster care is that I fell in love with his family. Um, I thought I was getting in it to save children. And honestly, Tyler saved me from a way of thinking Mm. and a person that I didn't even know I didn't like. Um, And so all that to say, I love his family. We still have a relationship with his family and his siblings and even grandparents. Um, And so through that, I was watching it and I saw a lot of people complaining on Facebook and Instagram and I did the same. And I quickly thought to myself, again, this was God leading me in this direction, not myself, but quickly got to this place of saying, okay, I can complain about it all day or I could do something about it. And so with the Foster Care Alliance, we work with these moms um, to try to help them be ready to reunify. And what we do with that is we have we have a model that we've copywritten that we use. Um, however, the basis of it is that we're not trying to help moms in poverty. We're helping moms who are survivors of trauma. They're my child grown up without any intervention. And so for us, it's amazing. Um, We have had in the last year, we've had over 50 referrals. Not one of the moms that has entered our program is, um, not one of the moms has not had significant physical and sexual abuse in her past. Many of them have at least one child that's a result of that. And that kind of trauma alone, not to mention what happened in childhood and all of those being in foster care themselves, living on the streets, all of those things, those two major abuse uh, moments for them, that alone can completely derail any plan for success in their lives. And so for me, we really believe leave. And what's amazing is research shows within the last five years that trauma is no longer something that happens in your brain and is there forever. But trauma can actually be, your brain can be rewired. Trauma can go away. You can be healed. Not that it's ever something that's not there, but you can experience psychological resilience. And so we believe that these moms who are maybe not as cute as these babies that Amanda was talking about, but they grow up and they become adults and they still have value. Um, And so for me, this has been a huge outlet that has also made sense of the tough parts of my foster care journey. Um, There was a lot of trauma. I would vicarious traumatization that happened just being a foster parent. Um, And I would say, you know, we always say here trauma is a senseless event, but the way that you make sense of trauma is by working it out, by helping others and allowing your journey and your story to not necessarily have to go through the nitty gritty details, but to be able to say, okay, because I overcame this, I can help someone else. And so for me, it's not only been a great outlet, but it's been encouraging to actually see um, things in the system changing because of what we're doing. Because Amanda and I both look at this and say, this is more than just, we need to help kids and that's it. It's a systemic problem it's a uh, civilization problem. It's, it's a historical problem. We have a lot of things we're fighting against. Um, and so it's exciting to be able to see those changes and sort of, like I said, bring some sense to all the heartache and pain of the last of the four and a half year foster journey with my son. 
So let's say there's somebody listening uh, today who is always kind of been interested in foster care. It's kind of just been on the back of their brain, never really taken a first step necessarily or don't really know what the first step is. Um, What would be a good first step? Number one, I think you both talked about respite um, a little bit, so maybe you could talk about that a little bit more. But what would be some, you know, or even just ways to educate themselves, good resources? What's something that you can share for um, that? Two books, I think before you even take your first class, two books, um, The Brain-Centered Child. What's the full name of that? The Whole-Brained Child. Uh, An easier, quick read um, for people thinking about, they've thought about it don't know what it's really about is um, Kristen and I can't remember that Mike Berry just came out with a book called um, 101 questions for foster on foster care and adoption. And um, I've actually read it and it's just really good. I've learned things from it, even as a um, going on five years in the foster care and adoption world. And um, I think it's just really simple um, but meaty information on what you're getting into. That a lot about trauma and how trauma affects the child um, long-term and how even adopting a child from birth, there is still trauma that occurred, still trauma that occurred in the womb, still a trauma that happened when that child was, ta- was um, when the um, child went from one family to another. There's that, that is all trauma. Adoption equals trauma, no matter when the child was adopted. Um, It's something that I learned from both of those books. Um, Mm -hmm. And so read a couple books. um, And then I would say go to your first um, informational training with whatever organization you choose. And go come over to my house for and see the chaos of... um, I've, I've I've had a few friends get into foster care... And they came over and asked me questions in the midst of kids running around. <laughs> um, I don't know that you learn any more, any better than that. Um, and they still became foster parents. So it, it worked. Uh, so yeah, come over, ask if you know somebody in foster care, go over to their house one night and ask them questions <laughs> and read those two books. Um, so I would say a couple things. One, the book, The Whole Brain Child by Daniel Siegel is a really good book. Like, Amanda had mentioned. The other book I really like is called Ready or Not by Pam Parrish. And it's actually a 30-day book where you go through it and you start to discover things about yourself and whether or not you're ready. I would say as a single parent, having trusted people around you to talk about and to, or to talk with about it and decide if you are ready. If you're married I have had many people come to me and say, my husband's not on board, but how can I convince him? My advice would be never convince anybody to do foster care. You have to decide on your own separately. And when you both come to the conclusion that you're ready, then you're ready. Foster care is difficult. I have seen it do crazy things to families and marriages, and it's not worth it for the child to have to go through another trauma of parents that can't make it. So if you're considering it, you have to take an honest look at where you're at 
and whether or not you feel like you personally at that time have the emotional, mental, physical stability to be able to do it. Um, great ways to get involved are, um, you know, doing respite care, which is temporary care. You will be fingerprinted, background checked. You'll go through all the training, but you only get a child for a weekend. Well, that's what they tell you. Um, <laughs> most of the time, you will only have a child for a weekend or a week while that parent goes on, foster parent goes on vacation, that sort of thing. You can start to get your feet wet. It's a great way to get to know. I would also say, like Amanda said, asking questions of foster parents that are currently fostering or have fostered in the past and getting the real unedited version um, is really important for deciding it. But um, but just like you're going to need community in foster care, do not make the decision to foster or adopt outside of community. Um, if you don't have people that are buying in with you to do it with you, you won't make it past six months. No, I, I would definitely agree with that. And I would piggyback on it and say, also give your employer a heads up, like talk about your heart <laughs> with your employer. <laughs> so I, I've gone through, I've had two supervisors um, through this process. One when I started and another one um, in the middle of the adoption process. And um, one, I had like four weeks of vacation saved up before I even started, <laughs> which was the best decision. Um, maybe even more than that. And just share your heart with your employer. And if you, if your employer is not on board, I'm going to be honest, it's going to be more of a struggle. Like I, yeah, I, I, my, my current, um, boss, he wants me to get my job done. Um, and I do, but his, he also wants us to take care of our family and he, understands the, um, the level of intensity that this life takes, um, that I've got three kids and two therapies and multiple doctor specialists and, um, getting, I've gotten call a call from school every single day this week. Um, and I've had to like go to school a few times in the last few weeks to go handle situations. And he's never once said, um, that I'm not doing enough. And so it's just, and so I feel that inadequacy. I feel that pull. Like I want to be doing my job at 110%. And I can't be doing my job at 110% and my parenting be at 20. Um, so my goal in life is to do 80 and 80, 160. So be at 80% fantastic parent and at 80% <laughs> <laughs> Because that'll work. Um, but it means oh, like, Next we're going to talk about balance. Next we're going to talk, gonna about, talk balance. about love and work. <laughs> um, so yeah, that means occasionally I'm going to have to take a call at work. And that means I'm going to answer calls and emails and projects on the weekends and at night. Um, sure. And I think that's where the balance of being a parent, foster parent, and working um, a demanding job come in. Um, what I've seen in the last six months specifically is I have three kids and one of my previous kids' moms also has three kids now, but is working at a wage that's much different than mine. And I, I'm trying to figure out how, how, how is that okay? How is knowing that she's going to be 
significantly struggling and just surviving for a long time. Okay. And I mean, I'll be honest, I'm surviving right now, but I, my boss asked, he's like, how are you doing emotionally? I said, I just want to get to a point where I'm thriving and I feel like I'm thriving at work, but thriving at home is just not there. And I I've been in a place where it's, it's both happening. Um, and so just trying to get back to that where you're doing both well, um, and to the best of your ability. Um, but yeah, I think it goes back to having, if you don't have us, if you don't have a supportive job, I'm on foster parent, like blogs and postings and it's just not going to work. Like if you don't have vacation, if you don't have sick time, it's just not going to work. You're going to have to go to court. You're going to have to get called out in school. Um, and so foster parenting in general, two parent household or one parent household, you got to have a a employer that's on board. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's, uh, talking about a little bit of the balance. You're both single women. So what's up with dating? What's up with that life? Does that just like, is it over or is this? Hang on. Did we just turn into like the Delilah show? Is this like, (laughs) what are we doing? Like, okay. So which direction do you want this to go? Do you want people to be encouraged or do you want people to (laughs) be depressed? It's gotta be, it's harder. Amanda and I both agreed. Amanda and I think that, you know, that basically our payment for doing the podcast should be that we go on a double date and somebody sets us up. Oh, (laughs) really? We can put a challenge out. We could do that. To the listeners, a challenge out to our listeners. That's interesting. You've never given us that permission fully, so we can make that. that. Maybe you have. I have given you that permission. I'm 34, okay? Andre, listen, Andre does not give me that permission to set anybody up. Let's be truthful. Let's be, that is fair. I don't like your setup. She doesn't. She doesn't trust me. I don't trust his setup. Hey, at, at you this can trust point, mine. I so Andre has to approve it then. <laughs> yeah, but obviously, I mean, making these making the choices you guys have, um, both. I mean, this is this is a missional uh, pursuit that you guys have both chosen for your lives. Um, it, it's to to find a lifetime partner. It's going to be more challenging. Let's be honest, right? Like this is part of who who you are and. Um, and you guys have accepted that. Is that a fair way to say it? Yes. 100%. They're like, yes. And <laughs> can I not freaking <laughs> also have a date and fall in yes. love? I mean, maybe it's possible. I will take I that know. challenge. Listen, I'm going to take the challenge. Do you have health insurance? <laughs> and if you do, then I'm willing Call to go on a date. And Chelsea, this it's like a low bar. <laughs> low bar here. That is so funny. But in all honesty, I think there are definite new challenges. I always had a high expectation for people I wanted to date. But now I also, um, you know, am a single mom of a child of a different race. So that we haven't talked much about what that's like, you know, because Amanda is as well. But that adds a new component. Um, So dating looks like you know, I've, I've had to set boundaries and say, I actually don't let anyone meet my child. Like even at the door, I say, I know it's weird, but you can't come to the door. I'll just come out. Cause you can't meet my kid until we are a solid four months in. And I have to have some, some commitment that you're actually trying in this relationship because I also need, 
I can't have more people walk out of my kid's life. Mm. And especially when it comes to men, because I'm a single mom, my son is excited by that and wants to hang out and play with them and all of the things and then wonders where they are. Mm -hmm. And I have to not only protect my own heart, but now protect my child's as well. And if anything, my 100% my kid is the priority in that. So that's been hard for some people to understand because they also, it's hard for them to get a picture of what life will look like if we're dating single, but I'm not including kids. But if they're not on board with how I feel about that, then it's probably never going to work anyways. Um, I will say conversations on first dates now look really different. People have a lot of questions. What do you think about being a father? Um, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, there's pretty no much. there's no way there's to like, not. What is your view on this? Yeah. yeah. How would you discipline your child if... <laughs> Small talk is kind of lost in the midst of that, right? Yes. And they, and a lot of people even ask the question like, oh, did you adopt because you always wanted to be single? No, no, I did not. Do you think that you can, you know, do you like being independent? Do you feel like you need a relationship? I have to be independent. I'd really love someone to make decisions for me. <laughs> um, I'd really love someone to help me figure out what I'm going to do about this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think I will say it kind of puts on a persona for sure mm-hmm. that you've chosen this life because you're like ultra feminist man hater. I don't need help when that is not the reason why you chose or decided on this. So it's definitely just, you get questions and a lot of people, quite honestly, like I've been offered to be set up. And once they find out that I have a kid through adoption, they don't even go on the first date. Hmm. Well, that's disappointing. Not worth it. Tell me about it. Especially when I've just bought a brand new pair of cute shoes. (laughs) 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 <laughs> classic classic oh, Chelsea that's I love it. so Chelsea <laughs> alright well this leads us to our last question right yeah so it's the question we ask everybody that we interview is it possible to change the world stay in love and raise a healthy family uh, that's a good question because I I feel like yes it is um, it takes reconfirming your commitment to your family and to your work every single day. Um, at the end of the day, at the end of the night, planning for what goes on the next day. Um, I don't, I don't know about the love and relationship part. Cause that that's, I don't know what that looks like um, to be in a relationship in general. However, to be in a relationship with my work, to be in a relationship with three kids, it's, I think you can do it both, but you have to be committed every single moment of the day. Um, And remember when you wake up in the morning, why you're getting up an hour and a half early and then going to sleep at night, looking at your schedule the next day for work and home and figuring out how, how do I get to be the best staff person to my organization? Um, and how do I get to be the best mom um, for that day? Um, and sometimes that gets thrown out the window when it's they wake up and their tantruming in the morning, <laughs> or you know, uh, 
a city council member sends you a bad email that your boss gets. Um, but it's just being committed to doing the hard work and, and reading the books and listening to podcasts that make you a better human being and make you feel like you're not alone. So I think it's possible. I think it's more work than anybody thinks it's going to be. Like I have no, I have no doubt how fun and hard marriage could be one day and I'm excited about it. Um, but just single parenting and add one more person to that conversation sometimes sounds fantastic, but sometimes sounds more challenging. Like I would love somebody yeah. to take a shower for a kid while I'm doing washing out somebody's hair in the sink, like, or start the braiding right. process for one kid while I'm doing the hair on one kid. Like that'd be fantastic. Or like entertain right. one kid while I'm doing the hair. Um, I think it's possible. I think it takes, um, compromise on everybody. And I think there are different um, aspects of seasons. And I think at the end of the day, I have to remind myself that things are phases and things are seasons. And just because a hard season is a hard season doesn't make it a bad season. Um, That there's joy in every single day and joy in every hard season. I feel like that was not maybe not the answer to the question you asked, but. No, that's good. What about you, Chelsea? Um, yes, I think it's 100% possible by changing your perspective on what that balance actually looks like. Um, my kid knows that when I drop him off at school and the reason he stays for after school is because I'm going to work, but we talk about what work is that I'm helping other mommies so that their kids can come home at night too. Mm -hmm. And we talk really openly about what mommy's work is. I also have boundaries that I'm not good at setting, um, just in, and here's my idea of what my boundaries should be. So I have to actually turn off my phone between five and eight or silence it. And sometimes I will admit I've even given it to my kid and said, here, go hide it and we'll find it before you go to bed. And he does, he goes and puts it in my closet in a shoe or whatnot. But as like a physical reminder of from five to eight is his time. And I have to do that. Um, I also think being able to laugh in the midst of it is good. Being able to say, yeah, baby shark is my jam. And so instead <laughs> of just being like, oh, I wish I could watch my own show. We just dance to his songs and I let myself have fun with it because you sort of just have to be in the moment with your kid and have fun. I would say laughter, dancing are what get us through. Um, if I'm not laughing, playing, being silly with my kid at least 30 minutes a day, um, I'm going to snap. And right now my kid is my... He's my hobby. He's my joy. He's my fun. And that's okay. So I think being, I think it's possible if you can shift your perspective to, okay, what can I do in the midst of this? Um, when we do yoga together, it looks really weird and it's crazy, but Hey, I'm getting it in and we're making it work. And, you know, it may not be medit you know, meditating and, you know, very soothing yoga, but we're getting something in. <laughs> um, and so I think changing your perspective, the, you know, 
the be in love part, I have been in relationships that have lasted where people have actually met my kid. Um, they didn't end up in marriage per se, but with those relationships, I actually found myself to be healthier Hmm. at those times because of the laughter component where there was, there was something that was for me and fun. The one relationship that went the best was the one where he, I always said, you plan the date. I want nothing to do with it. Just Hmm. pick me up. And for a single parent, like that was the best because it was something I didn't have to plan or think about. Hmm. I just got to go. And um, so I would say it's possible. And I, and I think when all three are in balance is when I'm happiest, but it's, I mean, it's a daily thing. Again, we'll go back to community. It's allowing people to speak in and say, Hey, this is out of balance. Let me help you figure this out. I couldn't keep my life in balance without other people constantly pushing, bringing accountability and bringing perspective. Okay. Yeah, I would say I, I, I'm glad you guys answered the question because I think you guys do have an incredible love story. It's just a different shape than a lot of the people we interview. So I think your, your voice in the midst of the context, you're living out your purpose. You are in your own unique ways, change the world. You're changing the lives of little kids also in the midst, not outside of the work, but also um, in your home. And and your love story has just has taken a little different shape. And, um, and I think it's a beautiful shape. So um, I want to encourage you in that. I'm thankful you, you shared your story with us today. And now it's time for the breakdown. We are back. It is time for the breakdown. Let's say it one more time. It is you? time <laughs> for the break. I'm just staying in my lane. You are just I'm staying in my lane. Yeah, but you're going a little excessive in the lane. A little excessive. How would just for out of care? How would you? How would you announce the breakdown? <laughs> I'm not gonna do it because you are better at it than I am. I just I'm curious. How would you do it? I'm not gonna do it. Break it down for no, me. No, let's just move forward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What did you like about this interview today? One thing that stuck with me, and and I think this is a really important point that Chelsea made, that people have come to her, and I know there's probably people listening that are considering foster care, or adoption, or a, you know a a something like that for their family, and her encouragement when people come to her, and one person is really interested in it, but their partner is not. That you can that you should never convince someone to go along this journey. They have to be part of that with you. And I think that's going to be part of for them to find partners in life. I think they're going to have to find someone that is, this isn't a convincing. It's like it's going to be part of their story that they always desired. Also, it'd be fun to see see who comes around them in the future. But um, but I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, I think when we were considering adoption for our family, at first it was your passion. And over time, I wanted to join you in that in that missional work, and um, and you didn't push me too hard. You know, you let it kind of happen. And I think that's something really important. If you're listening, pondering that for your family, that has to be something that both of you are on the same page because it's going to transform your family in a very positive and, and challenging ways at different times. Yeah, um, I also really feel like. I'm sure everybody listening felt the difficulties that they have as single mothers. And many of you listening are single mothers as well. And I think I just want to 
first of all, say that I think that we as uh, couples and families that have partners um, need to do a better job supporting our single mother friends, the single mother community, and even especially the foster community with the struggles and difficulties that they have on a regular, regular basis. Right. It's exhausting. Yeah. And we just need, we need to do better. I think, I think I was just really struck by, you know, I, I, I was part of their journey in the beginning when, uh, everything was new and we got these little sweet babies and I was holding and taking care of them. And, uh, you know, helping Chelsea figure out how to do, a, you know, nebulizer treatment on a baby. And, you know, we're part of these things. And, um, and I think that just is really, really important and needs to continue um, to be able to really support women doing a good job taking care of their families. I agree. First of all, I don't know what a nebulizer is. But then secondly, that has nothing to do with what you're talking about. But then secondly, I agree. Like, I think, um, but I do think it's interesting. Like, this is the case in every family um, that as your family gets older, oftentimes your community gets smaller. I think that was a statement I heard them say multiple times that I think um, we don't talk a lot about. But it is true. I mean, Life gets busier as your kids get older. So there's more responsibilities you have. And then your friends. And more activities. Yeah, there's more activities. And so it's hard to, you have to go out of, I mean, to get community, you have to go out of your way to pursue one another. It takes a lot of intentionality. Yeah. And um, and I thought that was a really interesting way that they stated that. And, and um, convicting in some ways as friends of theirs going, we need to reach out to them more. Yeah. And mm-hmm. offer ourselves to them as friends more Mm -hmm. and um yeah that was it was a good reminder for me for all of us for all of us and maybe maybe this week you could do one thing think of one friend think of one person and maybe it's as simple as bringing you know all your all this leftovers that you have from a dinner that you made um, and dropping the leftovers off to somebody else. Maybe it's um, just inviting to have their kids come to the park with your kids so that they get a little minute to have a coffee and a break. Um, but I think we can all do better, and that includes myself. Yeah, so man, Amanda, Chelsea, thank you so much for sharing with us, educating us about foster care. There's so many things that we learned in this. You guys are um, have incredible families or incredible um people in our lives and inspiring to us amazing mothers and um, i think our entire community will be encouraged by this episode so thanks for your time today and um the books that they mentioned we are going to link to them in our bio so if you're interested after this podcast and want to read those books or want to think more about foster care we will link those in it's another episode of love or work we'll talk to you next week This episode was produced by DJ Obdiggy for Soul Graffiti Productions.